It's Brad and John. We're on Egbert. Yes, E-G-G-B-O-R-T. Check it out, Egbert.com. If you want to find out the particular page that talks about the radio operation of Egbert, check it out at EgbertOnAir.com. That's E-G-G-B-U-R-T, EgbertOnAir.com. John? Is he I'm back? here. Yes, he's back. Okay. I've got a couple goofy things to talk about this morning. I got my list. You got your list, Okay. As I go through the day, sometimes things hit me and I go, that's weird or that's strange or blah, 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 blah. Uh, so I take little notes. I used to do this with Shelly all the time. A um, couple things that yesterday. Have you have you heard about this thing with the Disney, I guess it was their, their, their uh, stock market report? Uh, what about it? Well... They seem, according to this, they seem to have admitted, quote, its controversial political and social agenda has hurt the company and shareholders. Um, and the interesting thing that they essentially, this is a report to their shareholders because, you know, they're a big monstrous, yeah. uh, you know, uh, a corporation. A lot of people buy stock and stuff like that. Um, they talk about the fact that uh, there's some quotes in here. Essentially, they're saying like, hey, we screwed up. <laughs> they're not coming yeah. out and saying that. In corporate speak, they're essentially saying, and let's see if I, the one quote's pretty interesting. It says, um, the success of our businesses depends on our ability to consistently create compelling content. Generally, our revenues and profitability are adversely impacted when our entertainment offerings and products, as well as our methods to make our offerings and products available to consumers, do not achieve sufficient consumer acceptance. Further, consumers' yeah. perceptions of our position on matters of public interest, including our efforts to achieve certain of our environmental and social goals, often differ widely and present risks to our reputation and brands. Is that is that essentially saying, "Hey, we're sort of we're sort of screwing the pooch as far as making money is concerned because we're too busy pushing our social agendas." You know? Yeah, I, I think that's exactly what it says. And this is the first year as we look at. Uh, you know, quarterly earnings that have come in from, from, you know, like Brad, you and I talked about this on the BS show over the summer, whether it's Budweiser, whether it's Target or whether it's Disney at a certain point, all the feel good ESG stuff, environmental, social and governance, uh, policies, they, they have to make economic sense, especially for these companies that are so widely held. So this is really the first year that we're seeing any kind of detrimental effect to this woke agenda. Well, the, the problem with it is, is that if you're a stockholder and, and, and you buy stock in a company, you want that stock. I mean, generally, I should say, because there are activist shareholders who buy stock in companies just because of the fact that they like what the, the company's doing, maybe something controversial, whatever. But for the most part, when you buy stock in a company, you buy it so that your your investment in that company increases. If you buy it at $2 a share, you want that stock to go to $20 a share, you know, yep. because, you know, and especially if you have a 401k that's invested in stocks or if you're working for a company that has like a, you know, 401k or some kind of an ESOP or something like that, you want that stock to increase because because as you work for that company, you're getting like the old double dip. You're getting your salary, you know, plus many bonuses, whatever, stuff like that. But you're also get, having the advantage of of the stock growing, you know, the stock that you, sure. the company you work for. You increase. sound like a capitalist, Brad. Right. You're being very capitalist well, But it's, it's like friends of mine who work for Anheuser-Busch, uh, who every once in a while I'll still check in with them. And... They're not real wild about what's happened. And some of them, you know, several of them are retired. And they're not real wild about what's happened with Anheuser-Busch. Um, yeah. And, and especially, they've never really recovered from the crazy Dylan Mulvaney thing. 
Um, and and you yep. know what? What's sort of interesting about that is, you know this from being a comms guy when you work for Monsanto. People typically have a short memory. You know, if if something happens where there's a blip on something where you know, like, well, I don't like that company what they did, and their stock goes in the toilet for a while. Typically. People forget about that. Or it's like, for example, I have friends of mine who got ticked off about the NFL and said, I'm never watching the NFL again. Guess yeah. what? They're watching. I was the, in that group. They're watching. And I'm watching the NFL again. Right. They're watching the NFL. But, but it, you're right. Dylan Mulvaney has, and the whole transgender can issue is is becoming or has become a legacy, what, what, what we used to call a legacy issue, an issue that will never go away no matter how much time passes. And Brad, to your point, you know, the trick with the environmental, social, and governance, uh, these policies from the company is one of the good things that the political left has done has is been affected the demand curve for it. So what I mean by that is so many corporations now have faced pressure to offer their employees. So, for example, if they offer the employees a 401k investment plan, one of the options now needs to be and an, an ESG fund. So companies that, and phrase it however you want, um, uh, you know, embrace diversity or are carbon negative or carbon neutral. So what that means is all of these corporations have to reach certain guy. And I worked at a company that spent, that had full-time employees that did nothing but try to reach UN goals on sustainability, et cetera, so that the company can be designated as a good actor. If your company is designated as reaching a certain criteria of diversity and carbon neutrality and things like that, then these ESG funds can purchase your stock, which props up the stock price. So so the left has done a great job of leaning on these companies and saying, hey, here's our standards. If you don't meet these criteria – we're going to pressure these funds to not invest in you. Now, what and what John's referring to when he talks about the ESG, it's I don't know where this started. What this was this the World Economic Forum or where'd that come from? The ESG it, stuff. It been World Economic Forum, and it might have been the UN. There's there's so many different groups that that set out to measure and grade companies' environmental record, sustainability right. record. And you actually had a score, environmental, you had three, essentially three components, your environmental score, your sh- social score, which was essentially how you, you know, your uh, uh, employment practices. Uh, diversity. Diversity, yeah. things like that. And then your governance, which which essentially had to do with how the company was governed, who's on the board, uh, is the board taking into consideration environmental concerns. The whole thing was like, and you, you had a score. It was like a credit score kind of thing. We had like yep. a FICO score. It was like, a, and, and what happened was the guy who probably is the one who really, 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 really outed this was Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck came out with a book where he essentially just talked about this and essentially said, you know, once again, Glenn Beck, love him or hate him. He's, I find him a fascinating guy. And why I find him a fascinating guy is for a number of different reasons is because he has risen from the ashes. I know two people that used to work with Glenn Beck back in the radio business when Glenn Beck, because Glenn Beck was a top 40 morning, you know, almost like a Howard Stern kind of guy, um, you know, and and I know two people who work with him, and they both said the exact same thing. I've seen so many people in the radio business. I call them O's, O-W-E, own worst enemy. Extremely mm. talented people that destroy themselves. And to a certain extent, if if he's listening, and I know he won't, he would not, but if I did say this about him to his face, and I would, J.C. Corcoran. J.C. Corker is one of these guys that is an extremely talented guy, probably one of the hardest working guys in the radio business, but he just keeps blowing himself up. 
You know, mm-hmm. and that's why that's why he's got to the point where nobody will touch him because of the fact that he's sort of toxic. And I've said this before in the radio business. More people get fired for what they say and do off the air than what they say and do on the air because of the fact that some of these people are impossible to work with. I mean, they're just egomaniacs. They're just jerks. Um, you know, I can name off names right now, people that, that if I named off names, people in the radio business, that if you talk to... A hundred people in the radio business, and you mention their names, everybody goes, oh, my God, that guy's so well, hard to work with. So, Brad, you you know these people personally. So if you, so I don't know J.C. Corcoran, but I know I've read about his uh, foibles and his personality and his career history. Isn't part of who J.C. Corcoran is is being – uh, isn't that part of his identity, though, to make everybody mad? Like, do, isn't that what he what he actually wants to do? Like, isn't isn't like uh, a self defeating uh, 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 approach to life? Isn't that who he is, though? Like, doesn't he actually want that? A bo- one of my bosses years ago said to me, "I th- we, I think we talked about this yesterday. Don't let your show get too big for the room." Okay? Right. Yeah. The idea being is that that some people have persona that they do on the air, which does not carry over to their personal life. To a certain extent, you had guys like Wolfman Jack, who, you know, had a persona on air, but he really wasn't that guy. And what's sort of interesting is you find out there's a lot of guys in the radio business and gals that you hear them on the air and they have one on-air persona, but when you know them, like, for example, the guy Neil Bortz used to be on on one of our stations. Neil Bortz is a, was, a, was a very, very, very talented talk show host out of... Um, Atlanta, Georgia, and he was on WSB and did a national show, and I had him on the air for years on on what we called The Mouth. We were on 1350 before crap was crap. It was The Mouth, and extremely talented guy, very funny. You'd listen to this guy, and you'd think, man, if I invited Neil Bortz to my party, he'd be the life of the party. No, he's the guy sitting in the corner because of the fact that I knew people that worked with him. They talked about he was a totally different person. Once he walked yeah. out of the studio, he was like this, almost like an introvert kind of guy. You know, he, he didn't really, you know, wasn't really, you know, shaking hands. He wasn't the kind of person that walked into a party and worked the room and shaking everybody's hat. Hey, how you doing? Good to see you again. He wasn't that guy <laughs> at all. But JC was to the point where, if, 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 if to the point where I've been in, 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 in offices with JC, with staff, when... He has been really a jerk to the staff members. You know, mm. I mean, like, and, and to me, you've, you've done this. I mean, anybody who's worked with more than two or three people in an office or something like that, there's always friction at some point because somebody does something that annoys everybody else. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and, and to the point where, where, you know, you talk to any HR exec, what do they do? Half their life is spent with putting out little fires. Well, so-and-so, they snap their fingers all day long, and I don't like that. They, yep. they, they crack their knuckles, and <laughs> you know what I mean? It's that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, JC was just the kind of guy that, that, I mean, once again, you know, you're right in the respect that that was sort of his thing, but the sad part of that is that I think to a certain extent, and I, I, call, I, I, I call out Howard Stern for this, Howard Stern used to be the guy who was against the man, okay? Howard sure. Stern is now the man. You know what I'm saying? He turned into Don Imus. Right. He turned into the man that he used to mock and criticize. All right. The 
and and he's the guy who was the anti-government, anti-establishment. You know, hey, you know, the, my boss tells me to do it this way. I'm going to do it just the opposite way because my yep. boss told me to do it this way. Now he's, and now Howard Stern is telling everybody to get the vaccine, right. and he's telling everybody to stay at home and not leave their house. Right, exactly. He won't leave his house. Well, it's okay if you've got you know a five hundred million dollar contract where you know you've got your own private jet and you've got you know multiple houses and things like that. You've got you know your own limousine stuff like that. Yeah, that's all well and good, but the rest of us. Not doesn't work so well. You know what I'm saying? Now, this is a tale as old as time, isn't it? Because if you look at anybody in the civil rights movement, St. Louis's own Bill Clay came to prominence because, what, he chained himself to the doors of Jefferson Bank downtown. He was the most radical activist. And within a member, within a number of years of being in Congress, he was suddenly seen as the establishment among St. Louis City black activists. And he was trying at the time to tamp down young opposition. I mean, I think it's I think it's pretty normal for a lot of people that rail against the establishment. Once they enjoy a few million dollars and the perks of being the establishment, they just want everybody else to calm down and shut their mouth. Well, look at the look what happened to his his son. His son was sort of the great example. His son was the same way, and some people would consider him somewhat radical. And then comes Cory Bush and makes him look like Mister looks like makes him look like Captain Kangaroo. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. <laughs> like, like and, you know, Lacey Lacey Clay was no longer the radical he, black. He was the voice of reason in the first congressional right, district. Exactly. He was the guy that's. Why can't we get Lacey Clay back? He appreciated. Boeing, right? As opposed yeah, to that's for sure. Corey and, Bush. And, and, and the police to some extent. Right. Hey, come, come a year from now, we might have Congressman Wesley Bell. <sighs> Going to be interesting. Okay, we have to take a break. It's 741. You're listening to BJShow.co. I know that's crazy, uh, but it's Brad and John. And uh, next break, let's give a little bit more background to as to who John is. Everybody knows who the hell I am. At least they should, or maybe they shouldn't. I don't know. One of those things. 741.